Greetings, everyone. Thank you so much for joining me on Satiate today. I'm Sue Van Rees, functional nutritionist, food psychology specialist, author, and founder of Boulder Nutrition here in Boulder, Colorado. I also lead women's wellness and yoga retreats, both locally and internationally. Food has so much power. Power to nourish, to strengthen, and to connect us to one another. That said, it's a true rarity to find a woman today who is at peace with her plate, with how she eats, how she looks, and how she feels in her body. Satiate is here to engage in meaningful conversation about what it really means to have food and body freedom, to show up in life as who you really are, to trust yourself tracking the intelligent design of your body, and to prosper with embodied self-care in doing so. Satiate offers you functional nutrition and food psychology insights, some of my favorite special guests and experts from all over the world, and some personal insights and anecdotes that can act as salve for your soul. If you love this podcast, I would be so grateful if you head over to iTunes, subscribe, and leave a review. That way, you'll be sure to be alerted when new episodes are published and help me spread the word so that other women in need can find their way to this important conversation. Thank you so much for being here today, and I hope you enjoy today's episode of Satiate. Before we get started today, I want to introduce to you our very special guest, Dr. Sachin Panda. Dr. Panda is a circadian scientist best-selling author of The Circadian Code and The Circadian Diabetes Code, and a professor at the Salk Institute, California. His lab studies how circadian rhythm in metabolism is an integral part of metabolic health and longevity. Along with his lab, he created an app called My Circadian Clock. The app is used to gather the information of daily patterns in activity, sleep, and food intake to run parallel interventional studies testing the impact of time-restricted eating on various chronic diseases. I am so honored to have him on Satiate today, and I can't wait to share his wisdom with all of you. It's such an honor to have you on the show today, and I just want to thank you for taking the time to join me on Satiate. Thank you so much. I'm really happy to be on your show. Yay. Well, it all started um, when I found your book earlier this fall and then basically read every single page, every single word, and was so happy to have such a great resource for your work. And just so listeners know, the circadian code was the book I'm talking about. And then recently your newest book, the circadian diabetes code. And so I reached out and I was so excited to have you respond with your availability for today. So, 
Um, yeah, where are you calling in from today? Let's just share that. Yeah, I'm actually right now, I'm in San Diego, California. And this is a very nice warm day in November. Um, I'm enjoying the day here. Beautiful. And you're at your office? I'm in my office. Uh, I come to office almost every day since uh, middle of the pandemic. <laughs> <laughs> How wonderful that you can be in sunny California. Yeah. Um, well, I would love to know how you're doing today and what you're most excited about with your work, because it sounds very inspiring. And then maybe we can get into some deeper conversation about circadian rhythm. Yeah, I mean, uh, this is really, I'm really blessed and privileged to have a very dedicated team of researchers in my lab. They're from all over the world. They're extremely curious about circadian rhythm and its impact on multiple aspects of health. Um, so right now in my lab, uh, there are a lot of studies going on, starting from simple fruit flies to humans, looking at how circadian disruption can lead to various diseases. And second, the flip side of the coin is if we nurture circadian rhythms from Drosophila to humans, can we prevent better manage or even reverse some of the chronic diseases and in some cases even infectious diseases um, that afflict the human population right now. So I'm super excited about all the studies going on in the lab and almost every single day we find some new results and make some new discoveries and find new biological principles so that in future we can use them to improve human health for everyone. Mm, that's such exciting work. And thank you for dedicating so much energy and time and many years of research to creating such great information and discovering such great information for the masses. I'd love to hear where it all started. Becoming a circadian scientist, what was the inspiration for you behind that? Well, the word circadian literally means uh, 24 hours rhythms. So the most obvious rhythm that we experience every single day is the day night cycle um, almost every day. Um, at a very predictable time, the sun comes up and also every day the sun goes down, the night becomes cooler and darker. So when I was a kid, I was faced with this um, interesting observation among two of my grandparents. My maternal grandparent, grandfather actually worked as a night shift worker in Indian Railway and Many times he would spend half the night or entire night working and then coming back in the early morning. And I was really surprised and I was also amazed that he was a superhuman because he could break the norms of sleeping at night, staying awake all night and coming back in the morning. He lived in a town with access to good healthcare and also his work in Indian Railway covered his health um, pretty well. In contrast, my 
paternal grandfather lived on a farm far away from any nearby town. Uh, he had very little access to modern healthcare, but he was living in sync with the day-night cycle. So that means every day at predictable time, just like the sun, he would wake up right before the sunrise and get ready, work all day outside in the farm, eat his meals at specific time, breakfast and lunch and dinner were almost like clockworks and had really nice good night sleep in completely dark rooms because he also did not have access to electricity. And in fact, even till now, I remember my best sleep where <laughs> when I was mm -hmm. visiting my, my uh, paternal grandfather's um, farm. So that's when I saw how the contrast between working against our own circadian rhythm in my maternal grandfather's life and then working in sync with the circadian rhythm, day-night cycle, my paternal grandfather's side. And then as the days and years went by, my maternal grandfather, he retired from his job at the age of 58 in those days. Um, but then very soon after that, he succumbed to dementia, Alzheimer's disease. And then he passed away pretty early in his early 70s, whereas my paternal grandfather who lived in sync with his uh, circadian rhythm and nature, although he didn't have access to great healthcare, he lived up to his late 80s or early 90s. So that kind of sunk in that I was wondering how, whether this difference in rhythms my two grandfathers experienced were driving some of their health and disease issues. And during this time, when I visited the farm, I also realized that my cousins who lived on the farm, they knew what time of the day, which flowers should bloom, which season and which season, which fruits and vegetables should grow. And I realized that there is so much, this ancestral knowledge ingrained in everything from from fruits, vegetables, flowers, to humans, and even some of the animals, they would reproduce only in springtime. So all of this kind of started my curiosity. And I realized that the modern biomedicine and biomedical research or biological research mostly asks what happens when X or Y is mutated or disrupted. But we rarely asked how things change throughout 24 hours. And so I thought that this understanding the biology of time would hold huge potential to improve the health of everyone because just like my maternal grandfather who was staying awake late into the night and working, in modern days, almost all of us spend at least four to five years of our life. Just remember your high school days or college days. Um, at least during those days, we stay awake past midnight, mm. almost for more than half a week, every week for four or five years. And nearly 20% of the population in industrialized nations, that is one in five working person actually works in a shift work. Mm -hmm. 
And when the work can shift, then their families also become secondhand shift workers mm -hmm. because their spouses have to give company when the person comes back from shift work in the middle of the night or early morning. And then they also have to pick up the um, chores and other jobs as the shift worker should do at home. So <laughs> it yes. becomes it becomes secondhand shift work. So in that sense, if we think about it, almost all of us experience this circadian disruption, and this is getting worse and worse. At the same time, we are also seeing the trend in there is there is an increasing trend in obesity, diabetes, heart disease, and many other chronic diseases. In fact, right now in the US, one in two individuals, adults, has high blood pressure. Nearly one in two adults has pre-diabetes or diabetes. And then in our entire lifetime, 42% of us will be diagnosed with cancer. So the list goes on and on because a lot of people who have stomach issues, starting from just simple discomfort to uh, chronic acidity, IBD, IBS, and we don't see this trend is going down. In fact, we have not seen any of these trends has gone down over the last 20 years. So I think, I strongly believe that our chronic circadian rhythm disruption is contributing, may not be causing, yeah. but contributing to some of these health conditions. And the good news is fixing our circadian rhythm doesn't need a drug. We all can practice some better circadian lifestyle to fix the problem, to stay healthy. And if, you, if we are ill, then we can get better sooner and we can get back to full functionality much faster if we have good rhythms. I, I so agree. And one thing that I talk about a lot in my work is you know, how to eat well and how we're actually going about our, our ritual around food. And I've recently started including when. So there's like the what, the how, and the when. And your work has really been so, so integral and in inspiring me to look deeper into how our timing and how our daily rhythm is so integral in keeping us feeling our best, really. Yeah. Aside from all of the, you know, the long-term impacts, I know for me, when I'm just in a good rhythm, getting enough sleep, going to bed early, waking up early, you know, staying away from too much overstimulation from electromagnetic frequencies and light and all the things that are artificial that we're surrounded by all the time, simply even just dimming the lights at night is so helpful in like unwinding our nervous system from the day. And so I really appreciate your science around, and we'll get into this a little bit more in a few minutes, but you know, how we can use the timing of our circadian rhythm to inform what we're doing at that point during, during the cycle. Yeah, actually this uh, timing is a very important factor because once you fix timing of when, 
everything else falls into its right place in the sense we also make better decision about what to eat and how much to eat. And as you mentioned, if you sleep, if somebody sleeps better, then the person is full of energy to do better exercise. And the quality of exercise and the quantity of exercise also improves. Mm -hmm. So at the end, lifestyle is what, when, and how much we eat, sleep, and move for exercise every single day. And I love it. Out of all of these nine factors, if we just focus on when, because the focus on timing actually goes across gender, socioeconomic status, health status, everything. So it reduces health inequality. Everybody can practice it. And mm -hmm. once everybody becomes aware of the timing, then the other factors fall into place. Absolutely. And it's, it's probably the most accessible aspect of this really is the timing. We don't have to buy it. We don't have to do anything really extreme to understand because it's sort of ingrained in our, in our internal clocks anyways. So it's really just like a resyncing up with what's already there. At least that's how it sounds yeah. to me. No, even if we take the science completely out of it, just imagine your daily schedule. Um, just imagine uh, somebody going to office <laughs> and if the office starts at say nine o'clock in the morning and ends at five, then going, just showing up for work at nine and then leaving after five o'clock itself is a good thing. It means whether you're working there or doing it for quality of work or whatever it is, that itself counts. Conversely, you may be a great worker, you may be very super smart, but if you show up at noon one day and then nine o'clock the other day, and then 1 p.m. the other day, then even though you are smart, you become unreliable. And your long-term potential for promotion, bonus and salary also reduces just by changing timing, irrespective of how good, how efficient you are. So similarly, we can pay, we can now translate to our health. You may be eating an awesome food, um, healthiest food in the world, but if you eat the breakfast one day at 8 a.m. and then next day, if you eat it at noon, and then another day you wake up in the middle of the night to eat the same healthy food, mm -hmm. then your body will not accept it because timing can make a food, can make a food healthy or junk. So interesting. Mm -hmm. um, just like your best friend can show up in the afternoon and you'll have a great time. But if your best friend shows up, knocks on your door at 3 a.m. in the morning in your deep sleep, three or four times in a week, then <laughs> your C may not be your best friend anymore. So <laughs> I was just going to say that. <laughs> 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 Which... I really would love to go into this a little bit further, but before we go really towards the eating aspect of um, the circadian code, will you just give us a little overview around the two hormones you speak about a lot in your book, these two primary hormones that are really governing and governed by your circadian rhythm, which is cortisol 
and melatonin and just how your research has pointed that these two hormones are really so much more effective and impactful when we are in a good, healthy circadian rhythm. Yeah, so in my uh, first book, The Circadian Code, I discuss about these two hormones that many of us can relate to because the circadian mechanism is quite complex and we're still understanding. But the Mm -hmm. simplicity is uh, in our brain, there is a small region at the base of our brain called the suprachiasmatic nucleus. You don't have to remember that. It's the size <laughs> of a it's the size of a pinhead, that tiny brain center. It governs uh, many hormones in our body, and two important ones are melatonin, which is produced from our pineal gland. In humans, it's at the top of our brain, and melatonin is considered the nightly hormone because it rises, begins to rise two to three hours before we go to bed. It stays up throughout the night. And after we wake up, it takes an hour or two to go down to daytime level. And when our melatonin levels are low, then we have difficulty falling asleep and maintaining good sleep. Mm -hmm. So it's really good to have relatively high melatonin level at nighttime for better sleep. Mm -hmm. And then the second hormone is cortisol, which many of you may be familiar with. It's called also the stress hormone. And after we wake up, after we get out of our bed, within an hour, the cortisol levels will begin to rise and will reach their peak level and will remain um, high throughout the day. And of course, if you're exercising, if you're stressed, cortisol levels will also rise and cortisol since it's a stress hormone if it remains high then it doesn't help us to go back to sleep easily at night so in that way if we think about it if we can maintain our melatonin levels high in the throughout the night and reduce cortisol level and at night And conversely, in the daytime, we should reduce our melatonin level and increase to a modest level cortisol, not too too high. (laughs) And then that will maintain the balance of these two hormones that we all can relate to. And what is interesting is there are a few things that we can do to maintain these hormones in sync. One is almost 20 years ago, we made the discovery that there is a blue light sensing mechanism in our eyes that senses blue light and sends the signal to the brain to reduce melatonin level. So that means that during daytime, sunlight or daylight is the richest source of blue light. So when we go out in the morning, then the sunlight or daylight, even if it's a cloudy day, there is enough blue light that will help us to reduce melatonin level if it is a little bit high. And by reducing melatonin level, and it helps indirectly to improve alertness. So we become more alert, less sleepy, reduces depression. Um, so that's the connection between light and melatonin. Mm-hmm. 
Conversely, in the evening, since melatonin has to rise two to three hours before bedtime, if we have bright light in our bedroom, or if you're watching television with full brightness, or if you're going to a drugstore or a grocery store at night, mm-hmm. there's a lot of LED lights these days that have very good source of blue light. So spending half an hour or one hour in a grocery store or a drugstore or a department store, for example, Walmart and many other stores are super bright. That can also reduce your melatonin level and you may not be able to fall asleep easily. So I also discussed that in the circadian code. Yes. So knowing this connection between light and melatonin can help us to come up with a very simple strategy that in the morning after waking up, if you have a balcony, just go out, stand in the balcony to kind of wake up. If you don't have a balcony, at least sit next to the large window to have your breakfast, to get some daylight. And those who want to actually go and exercise outside, then that's very good. Means you, irrespective of whether it's winter or summertime, after waking up, when the air is still calm, there is not much pollution in many parts of the world, that's the best time to take a brisk walk outside, get your melatonin level slow, a lot less high, reduce your depression. And conversely, in the evening, you just have to do one thing, dim down your light, or stop electronics uh, like watching TV or working on your tablet or uh, computer screen, or at least dim down the screens and put it into night shift feature so that the screen becomes a little orange in color. It gives us blue light mm-hmm. and that might help you to go to sleep. Yeah, it's, it's these simple daily things that we can just adjust. And I know for me, the thought of going into a department store or a pharmacy or a grocery store at night is something I always avoid unless it's dire need, but it does really impact me. And I feel like rather than unwinding my nervous system in the evening, it actually winds me back up. Um, And so, you know, some of the stuff that you're talking about in these very researched and well, well documented um, science, I also find that there is a deep intuition in our own bodies around this, if we pay attention. And so it's, it's so wonderful when we can see where science meets that, you know, primal wisdom in our own body. And we can affirm that we're feeling like overstimulated, for example, for a good reason. And I know for me, there's something so important about my day of getting outside in the morning and walking and the days that I don't do that, which are very few, um, I can really tell the difference in just my overall energy throughout the day. I want to take a moment to pause our conversation with Dr. Panda and invite you to a very special event that I'm hosting in celebration of the winter solstice, a free masterclass and ritual that I call Envision making the ordinary extraordinary in your life and in your health. This masterclass and ritual is here to help you create the mind shift you need to envision 
and live the life that you dream of. It's here to help you create the time and space you need to reflect on the past year. It's here to give you the loving attention you need to acknowledge what you have gone through and what you have learned in the process. To create vision so that you can cultivate all you want for yourself and to clear your path forward in the process. And vision is also here to help you examine the obstacles that most often get in your way and explore how to turn them into your allies. And this workshop primarily to set the stage for the single most important way to hone your habits so that you can create aligned action, well-being, and optimal health and happiness. We'll be meeting on the winter solstice, December 21st at 11 a.m. Mountain Standard Time. There will be a recording available, so if you can't make the live class, you're welcome to join us for the replay. And you can sign up at medicineforthesoulyoga.com slash envision dash masterclass. That's medicine for the soul yoga slash envision dash masterclass. And I'll drop the link in the show notes for you as well. And now back to today's episode with Dr. Sachin Panda. Yeah. Um, I mean, our health, whether we are healthy or we have some illness is ultimately tied to how we feel every single day. Just like you cannot build a building without paying attention to every single brick is strong enough. We cannot have this journey and have a healthy journey without paying attention to how we feel every single day. Because that's how we build our healthy aging or healthy living. Thank you for that. I'm curious how our circadian rhythm changes as the seasons change. And as we're recording this, we're on the descent, right? Into the the winter solstice and the darkest time of the year here in North America. And what do you think about that in response to our circadian rhythm? Well, our circadian rhythm is actually designed just like you said, our primal wisdom, our body is already primed to adjust to um, winter time and also come out of the winter time and springtime. Our circadian rhythm changes because uh, every single day, if we think a little bit carefully outside the equator, the sunrise to sunrise is not exactly 24 hours. It's slightly different because every day, because the tilt of our planet um, and its rotation is slightly different. So that's why, that's why our circadian rhythm also has mechanism to reset every day. Just like you said, every morning when you are taking the walk outdoor, the morning daylight is doing at least three things. One is reducing melatonin, improving your mood, and also resetting our clock. And when we go from summer to winter and winter to back, a body already uses that mechanism to change our internal security to them. But the truth is, we modern humans, 
we don't live in sync with nature because uh, there are multiple lines of evidence showing that we spend more than 90% of our time indoor. And I personally have done that experiment. <laughs> I wore a watch that was measuring light level. And from the light level, you can easily figure out whether I was outdoor, indoor, or even indoor sitting next to a window with good daylight. And this is also in a figure in my uh, first book, The Circadian Court. When I did this experiment in Kenya, Nairobi, um, out in Masai Mara National Reserve, I was getting almost eight to 10 hours of bright daylight because I was either in a tent or going on the safari. I was really happy. And then when I came back to Nairobi and was working in a lab, I still had pretty good four to five hours of daylight. And then when I back, came back to San Diego, people always say San Diego is so sunny, it's bright all year round. But my light sensing watch told me that I was spending less than 90 minutes in bright daylight. Mm. And out of those less than 90 minutes, a good chunk of that nearly 40, 45 minutes was when I was driving. Although the light reading was coming from my wrist, in those days I was driving with my sunglasses on, so I was not even getting daylight. So the bottom line is we all may be living in perpetual winter. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, it, it's very important that whether you are living in Florida or in Winnipeg, Canada, <laughs> just try to remember that you have to, whether it's winter or summer, you have to step outdoor to get that daylight because truly daylight is the best antidepressant, is the best mood lifter and it's plentiful and free. Just have to integrate into your schedule, daily schedule that you have to be outside for at least 30 minutes. And if you're prone to depression, maybe an hour. Yeah. So, so I think that's a long answer to your very simple question, but I no, think that we are I all in it. perpetual winter. <laughs> <laughs> so if we were to quote back to Game of Thrones, instead of winter is coming, we might change that to winter's already here. <laughs> now we need to just adjust accordingly so that we can keep our yeah. energy as high and our mood and our, you know, light exposure um, yeah. timely throughout the darkest time of the year, which can be tricky, but honestly, that little bit of time outside every day really makes a huge difference for me in the winter as well. Even if I have to wear, yeah. you know, a lot of layers. <laughs> so I would love to hear a little bit about how you mentioned this in your book and it's so fascinating to me. And I'm actually referencing your first book, the circadian code. At this point, I remember reading about how every organ has its own circadian clock. And that is just so fascinating to me. Would you be able to speak to that a little bit and how we can best navigate or even design our lives accordingly? Yeah, so this is uh, one of the biggest discoveries in circadian rhythm in the last 25 years. Um, almost uh, 
25 years ago, up to, up to that time, we thought that there is one circadian clock somewhere hidden in our brain that tells our brain to sleep and wake up and then everything else flows from there. But very simple experiment showed that almost every organ and every cell in our body has its own clock. So that means just imagine your liver has a clock, your stomach has a clock, your kidney has a clock, muscle has a clock. Let's begin with these ones and your pancreas that produces insulin. And, and we just talked about cortisol coming out of adrenal gland, all of them have. So now let's start with the stomach. So the stomach has a clock. That means at certain time of the day, um, so let's step back and think of how we connect clock with our brain function. So when you think of circadian rhythm, sleep-wake cycle, you think of just like our brain has a good time to stay alert and do complex math or solve great societal problem or personal problem, that's during daytime, we are more active. And then at nighttime, the brain has to rest. And we are also learning nowadays that when we go to sleep, our brain is just not sleeping, it's repairing itself, rejuvenating itself so that you can get up feeling fresh the next day. So similarly, when we say every organ has a clock, that means when I say stomach has a clock, that means the stomach has the best time when it can digest food. And it needs some downtime to repair itself, reset and rejuvenate so that next day it can wake up and help you digest food again very well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Similarly, the pancreas that produces insulin, it also has a good time window in which it can produce enough insulin to help you control your blood sugar. And I talk about it in the second book, the circadian diabetes code. And similarly, our muscles also have a clock. So that means there is a certain time of the day when we are much better at doing exercise. And second, we may be also less prone to injury from exercise. Mm, that's fascinating. So now if we combine all of this and ask, okay, so what are those timing cues and how do they work? At the same time, we must have to also think that the muscle clock has to be somehow connected to the stomach clock and to the brain clock so that the muscle is most active when we are awake, not when you are asleep. That will be, <laughs> that'll be very difficult. <laughs> and similarly, our stomach clock should not be most better in our middle of the sleep. So if we put all of this together, what we find is um, now, if we think about stomach clock, let's begin with that because we are talking about food. Um, a stomach is actually really active and can digest our food pretty well, maybe one or two hours after waking up for about the next eight to 10 hours. And the reason you might say, well, we know that our brain needs or we need seven hours of sleep or eight hours of sleep. And for the rest 16 hours, we can stay awake. Why can't our stomach eat for 16 hours? Why can't we eat for 16 hours? The reason is very simple because, for example, if I 
finished my dinner at 6 p.m. Although my mouth finished eating at 6 p.m. My stomach will continue working on that food, digesting that food for the next five hours. So that means only at 11 p.m. at night, my stomach will get a break to go to sleep. So that means we really have maximum 10 or 11 hours mm -hmm. to eat because our stomach has to work the next five hours. So now if we combine this, what we see is after we wake up, we have to give one or two hours extra because our brain clock has to coordinate with the with our clock and the rest of the brain, the rest of the body. And one thread that connects these clocks is again, melatonin and cortisol. Because just like melatonin makes our brain to sleep, melatonin also makes our pancreas to kind of sleep. So that means the pancreas cannot respond to food or glucose when melatonin is present. Mm. And after we wake up, it takes almost one to two hours for melatonin to go down. So that means it's still high. So that means immediately after waking up, if we eat something, then our body is not ready. Our pancreas clock is not in its peak performance time. So it doesn't produce enough insulin. So this is the connection between different mm -hmm. clocks. So that means after waking up, if we give ourselves one to two hours break, and then have first bite of the day, then from the first calorie, if you count maximum 10 or 11 hours, that's the time window mm -hmm. you can eat. And it also points to some of the other research in your book in the circadian code about how potentially our blood sugar would be the most sensitive in the morning, right when we wake up. Yeah. And that's, really obvious to me with hypoglycemia because I notice there are certain things I can get away with at other times in the day, but in the morning, if I don't start out right, I'm noticing my blood sugar is off the rest of the day. Yeah. So as I said, the pancreas, the stomach and liver, they all, all these clocks work together in a way to mm -hmm. maintain our blood sugar. Because if we think about it, there is one thing that fluctuates very widely within our body, and that's our blood sugar. It mm -hmm. uh, responds to every single food we eat. It goes up, and then it has to come down because it has to stay within a narrow window. And I talked about in the circadian diabetes code. And these three clocks, the stomach clock, the liver clock, and the clock in our insulin producing pancreas, they work together to create the perfect window for us to eat. And if we listen to that uh, primal wisdom of circadian clocks and then eat within that window, then we can maintain our blood sugar. Mm -hmm. And another piece is our body is really most primed to eat carbohydrate in the first half of the day. So that means if you have a sweet tooth or if you are carb addicted, then it may be better to have your carb, front load your carb in the first half of the day. And then in the second half of the day, you can kind of pick up more proteins and fat. Then I also wanted to connect the muscle because we kind of started talking about the muscle, we didn't connect it. 
Mm-hmm. Um, what we are also finding uh, research in many leading exercise labs throughout the world, they have found one common theme that is a muscle is most efficient for exercise in the late afternoon, early evening. So that means if you're a elite athlete, then that may be the time when you should try to break your world record or your personal record mm-hmm. and you can improve your performance. And if we are average people like you and I, then that's also the best time to exercise because that's the time when we have least risk for lower risk for injury. And then in the circadian diabetes score, I discuss how this exercise timing matters a lot for people with pre-diabetes or diabetes. Because if we think about it, we are actually designed to be more active right before, right around sunset. Because our ancestors, they had plenty of time in the morning to relax and go out to hunt or to do farming. But there was a hard stop, there was the sunset. And by sunset, everybody had to come home. Mm-hmm. There was no electrical lighting. And if you, exactly. have, if you have ever experienced, if you have ever camped outside, you know this very well. You can go on hiking, but you have to be back to campsite by sunset. So that's why our ancestors actually had to run back. They had a lot of activity in the evening to get back and also prepare food to eat. So a muscle clock is designed that way to have more activity. Another thing is what we're finding, which is very surprising, is we know that people with pre-diabetes or diabetes should exercise, it helps them. But now new studies are coming out showing that people with diabetes or pre-diabetes, if they exercise in the evening, late afternoon evening, they can much better control their blood sugar than doing the same exercise, exact same exercise in the morning, which is really fascinating because- Really fascinating. Because what it tells us is towards the end of the day, when our pancreas is actually getting tired of producing insulin, then we can, we are designed to use our muscles because muscles actually, when we exercise muscles, work as spawns to soak up glucose with minimum Mm -hmm. help from insulin. So that way we can use this intrinsic wisdom of clocks in different organs to our advantage by just timing when we should eat, when we should exercise, and when we should dim down to go to sleep. I love it. The exercise piece is really fascinating to me, not quite as um, intuitive, but the way that you just explained it with, you know, sort of our ancestors, it makes perfect sense. Um, I'd love to hear a little bit more about what you speak about in the circadian code known as time-restricted eating. And I know you touched on it already, but just without that um, actual term and I know that you kind of laid it out as far as how much more effective our digestion and assimilation will be if we're eating in that 12 hour period. Um, 
how can we best implement this into our eating? Yeah, so this uh, concept of what we call time-restricted eating has become more popular as intermittent fasting. Mm -hmm. These are mm -hmm. these, the most popular form of intermittent fasting because intermittent fasting is a very broad term that goes from eating fasting for four to five days in a month or two months to eating within eight hours, fasting for 16 hours, eating yeah. within 10 hours, fasting for 14, et cetera. Um, so this all go back to a very simple experiment we did in 2015, um, sorry, 2012. <laughs> 2015 was the human study. <laughs> almost, almost nine years, 10 years ago, that is, um, we took uh, mice, laboratory mice, and they were identical. They're born with the same mom, same room, same microbiome, same genes, same age, same gender. We divided them into two groups. They ate the same food, the same number of calories of food. The only difference was one group was allowed to eat whenever they wanted. The second group was allowed to eat the same number of calories within eight hours window and they fasted for 16 hours every day. And we actually fed them unhealthy food that is known to cause diabetes, heart disease, obesity. What we surprisingly found that the first group that at any time they became obese, they had signs of diabetes, heart disease, all the bad things happened to them. But the second group that they ate the same number of calories from the same identical food, but within eight hours and fasted for 16 hours. They're completely protected from all these chronic diseases. Wow. That so is we are so super incredible. surprised. Then we repeated this study where we said, is eight hours a magic number? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we cannot go below eight in mice because if you feed mice less than eight hours, then they eat less. So even if they have health benefit, we cannot figure out whether it's because they're eating less or eating within. Sorry. Right, too many variables. So we fed them for eight hours, nine hours, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15. And what we found was if they ate for eight, nine or 10 hours and fasted for the rest, then they were really healthy. And if they ate up to 11 or 12, they were, they were still reaping many benefits of this concept called time restricted eating. And if we took fat obese mice who already had the disease, and if we put them, if we give the, get them food for nine hours, they fasted for 15 hours, then they could reverse their body weight obesity and cholesterol, the blood sugar control became much better. All the good things happen. So mm -hmm. that's how the concept of time eating, which is now popular as intermittent fasting started. But unfortunately, in the popular media, people have taken it to two extreme. There are some that say one meal a day that is eating within two hours and fasting for 22 hours, mm. eating within four hours, six hours, eight hours is also out there as the most popular form. But in most of our clinical studies, um, we ask people to try to eat within 10 hours because 10 hours is a it may not be the best, but it is something that we can practice every single day and it gives enough benefit that we can still maintain a good balance between our social life, personal life, and a healthy life. So Absolutely. 
Um, so that's what I discuss in the second book, The Circadian Diabetes Code, because what we're finding is people with pre-diabetes, and that's nearly 87 million people in this country, they can potentially reverse their pre-diabetes if they can eat within 10 hours and fast for 14 hours. And, so amazing. And initially it may not matter what kind of food you are eating because you can start irrespective of whether you are rice eater, pasta eater, or pizza eater, or burger eater. <laughs> you don't have to change what you eat, but slowly you'll find that your appetite for unhealthy food will go down and you may like healthy food and you may reduce your alcohol intake, you may reduce your late night dessert and ultimately your quality of food will also improve. And in many cases, we find the quantity of food also decreases. So this is a great example whereby paying attention to just timing, you can improve quality and reduce some calories. And in many clinical trials, we're finding it helps reduce blood pressure, those who have high blood pressure. Many people who are already on blood pressure medication, they can still practice it. And those who are pre-diabetic or starting with metformin or any other um, diabetes medication, those with medication, you should consult with your doctor because some may be prone to hypoglycemia. There are some diabetes drugs that combined with fasting can cause hypoglycemia. So people should consult and start this kind of um, time restricting or intermittent fasting program. Yeah, so makes so much sense as to why that would happen based on all the other research and data that you've shared. And also, you know, as the darkness of nighttime, you know, comes into fullness, it's, I would say one of the times where, you know, it is more intuitive to be resting and more quiet rather than cooking and eating super late. Unless of course you go to Europe, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which I was just there. And it was so interesting to see how much that nighttime dinner culture really doesn't even come alive until so late in the evening. Um, but I, I do really find that the evening time works best for me when I can unwind and relax after dinner rather than staying up late cooking and eating. <laughs> <laughs> One of the things I wanted to make sure we cover in our conversation today is um, that there's an app that people can, can download to track their circadian rhythm, my circadian clock it's called. Can you speak to the app that you designed and how that can help people to kind of at least track where their routines and rhythms are in sync and where they're not? Yeah, so uh, there are many health apps out there, but uh, we thought that we should start a very simple app where you don't have to log every single calories you eat or what brand or what person size but simply track one simple thing that when you eat, so every time you eat, you can log it and see what is your eating window, how many hours of, in a 24 hours time you, you do this. And this app called My Circadian Clock is a research app. So that means um, we collect 
data only after getting your consent. So when you go to the app, it will take you through the various simple questions about you getting to know you a little bit better, um, your age, gender, etc. And then there is an informed consent. So that means it's overseen by ethics committee that makes sure that we preserve patient privacy and the data is never sold or mm -hmm. we don't give you any commercial advertisement. And um, the data is also used in research to figure out when people eat, who are at risk for circadian disruption, what are the barriers to adopting healthy circadian rhythm? We collect and analyze this data. The reason is, you know, we can always talk about what is good for us, but if we don't create a culture of health where there is opportunity to practice what we know, then the information is useless. So for example, we can go and talk about eating within 10 hours is pretty good. But at the same time, through the app, through our interaction with our participants, we are also learning that what are the barriers to living in this rhythm? And we're finding that number one, shift work, people who do day and night shift becomes very difficult for them mm -hmm. to practice this. But irrespective of that, we are also finding that many shift workers can adjust their lifestyle. They can be mindful of when they eat. They can avoid food simply because they're tired or they are you know, um, mindless eating, they can stop that. Mm -hmm. And they can bring back some routine and they can improve their health. Similarly, we're also finding that um, college students and young adults, they have what we call social jet lag. So that means in the weekend, starting from Friday, Saturday, and maybe Sunday night, they would go out with friends and then stay up very late, eat very late. And it's almost like your body is going from West Coast to East Coast or vice versa in the weekend and coming back. Mm. And that creates problem. So, through the app, we are learning all of that. At the same time, the app also serves as a platform for many of our collaborators to do very specific studies where participants are invited to come to clinic, a lot of blood-based assays and uh, body scanning kind of assays are done. And then they go through very um, monitored intervention or we teach them how to do this 10 hours time restricted eating or intermittent fasting. At the end of the study also, we collect the samples and these kind of studies actually tell us when people who are already with diabetes, already with heart diseases, or those who are recovering say from COVID, can mm. they adopt time restricted eating? Can they increase their energy levels? And can they follow some healthy tips for improving their sleep? Um, so we collect all of this data and also give them information through daily nudges and sometimes some surveys. And in some studies, we also give them extensive blogs so that they can read about it. Mm. So the, the bottom line is, if we want to create a culture of health, we need two or three things. One is people should get information about it 
unless I know that eating within 10 hours is good and safe, I cannot practice it. And so giving information is one goal of this MySecadian Quark app. And second is enabling them to practice it. We know how, what are the major barriers, how to manage when you are in a social setting and what are the, how to recognize these barriers, how to tackle them so that people can learn the information and also reduce it to practice in their own life. And during this process, we get to know what are the barriers and we also get to know what are the solutions people come up with. Mm-hmm. And in focus studies, when we do in-depth analysis, we also get to know whether people with specific conditions, so for example, we have patients who, are, who have diabetes or metabolic syndrome, or in some studies, we are also figuring out those who are going to get their chemotherapy mm-hmm. or their surgery for cancer. Can they prep their body by better circadian rhythm lifestyle so that they, they can recover faster and they can go through this therapy, whether it's radiation therapy, chemotherapy, or surgery, much better. Mm. Um, so there are a lot of studies that are going on on the app. And I hope that some of you listeners can try this out because when you try this out, you're not only trying it for your, yourself, you're also sharing your knowledge, your data with mm-hmm. researchers so that we can find whether it helps you and that can help 10 or 100 other people. So it's amazing. And I also just want to speak to, I know for me, having just something like that is going to create some accountability and where I'm going to spend some time focusing on the concept of time-restricted eating, circadian rhythm in general. And so it's going to really help the people that are participating with the app as well, just to have that little extra bit of support and practice and, you know, intention with tracking. And so it's really helpful. I'll be sure to... Yeah, tracking is uh, very simple. It's just like, you know, if you want to present yourself better, then you just stand in front of mirror and track, you are tracking yourself so that you can adjust your, how you look. Similarly, unless we track when we eat, we cannot adjust. So that's why <laughs> this is a very simple way to track and adjust. Another thing is I must emphasize another fact that we may not know that a lot of us, we think that pre-diabetes or diabetes is very innocuous, very simple thing. And a lot of people that take diabetes drugs and you take a drug and your blood sugar is controlled and that's it. But it's mm-hmm. not that it because once somebody gets diabetes, it's a lifelong struggle to maintain blood sugar. And second thing is diabetes comes with its sinister friends. Diabetes comes with high blood pressure, high cholesterol, metabolic syndrome, kidney dysfunction, stomach dysfunction, all of this. So the cost of living with diabetes for one year is around $9,000, the total cost. 
whatever you wow. spend, whatever the government is spending, mm -hmm. and then the other stuff. Now, if we think about it, there are 87 million people with pre-diabetes in this country alone. And those with pre-diabetes will eventually become diabetic. And once you become diabetic, it is a downhill struggle from there. So now if you think about it, if you can spend say 12 weeks to practice this time restricting or intermittent fasting for 10 hours, I'm not asking you to do eight hours. <laughs> if you can, then that's better, but just try 10 hours. This is almost yeah. like, you know, it's almost like learning to drive because it's learning a new lifestyle and it will take mm -hmm. some time. But this 12 weeks program that I discuss in the new circadian diabetes code, it's just that learning program so that you can learn how you feel when you do this. Yep. And during this time, you'll also pay attention to when you are eating and how changing the eating time helps you. The book also talks about how to improve your sleep because when you are sleep deprived, then we make we do mindless eating. A mm -hmm. sleepy brain cannot make good judgment about food. So we eat more and we eat crappy food. So yes. the book talks about this. So you go through this 12 weeks program, which is kind of a learning phase. You're going through driving lesson to drive your yeah. healthy lifestyle. Well, you're in a sense, you're learning how to take something that is probably a little challenging at first when you start and then become yeah. automatic. It'll become automatic. Yes. When we practice, you know, just like yeah. driving, as you said, when we first start out, we're shaky. Yeah. At least <laughs> teaching both of my kids to drive was a little nerve wracking, but it didn't take long. And now they're great drivers because it became automatic. Just like anything, we have to give a new lifestyle practice some time to settle in. And that's why I really wanted to make sure we mentioned yeah. your app because yeah. If people are really interested, it's the best way to get started where you will have that practice happening um, yeah. automatically. Yeah. So I also want to make sure people know both of your books are available on all the places you buy books. The first one, The Circadian Code, and the second one, The Circadian Diabetes Code, which just came out in November, correct? Yes. It just and came out this month. Yes. So we have, you know, those two resources available for people to dive into the science and the research. And also, I want to say it is very sciencey and research based in my experience, but also very accessible for the population of, you know, our, our North Americans and people all over the world that could easily pick it up and learn what they can do starting today. And so I love that about your, your, your books. They really are accessible to the mainstream. And thank you for that. No, thank you for mentioning that because <laughs> the first book, which sure. came out uh, two, three years ago, has already been translated in 10 different languages. And that's amazing. Uh, yeah. So there's a Spanish version, German, <laughs> Chinese, two different uh, versions of Chinese, uh, Polish, Russian. Uh, quite a few that have come out. And I'm really happy that people are learning because, mm -hmm. you know, yep. a few years ago, the word circadian was very arcane and very foreign. 
but at least these days some people can connect and i think this is what we are going through uh, i feel like we're going through a, a late and adventitious moment in circadian rhythm because we have been living with circadian rhythm for last 200000 years ever since we we appeared on this planet but only in the last 50 60 years we have disrupted our circadian rhythm so much because right. we didn't pay attention to it we didn't know what it is so just yeah. like we built our buildings with lead and asbestos and after we learned we are going through 50 years of revision mm-hmm. similarly <laughs> we have to go through this revision process for a generation where we have to come up with better lifestyle better education starting from elementary school middle school high school and we have to we have a lot of work to do to figure out how to optimize work of shift workers mm-hmm. um how to change the school start time so that kids can mm-hmm. go to school when they're well rested and they have a good night sleep we have to also figure out whether to change the daylight saving time or not and yeah. the consensus is we should stay in one just standard time because this disruption twice a year actually causes a lot of health problems So yes, I agree. And then even in hospitals and even if you're taking a medication, very simple thing that is as I said nearly half of the adult population in the US have high blood pressure. And millions of people are taking blood pressure medication. But just like our body can process food at a good specific time, a body can also use the medication much better. at specific time so that means blood pressure medications taken at bedtime works way much better in reducing risk for heart disease in long term than the same blood pressure medication taken in the morning so fascinating so now similarly we can think of scientists are finding there is a better time for your surgery for taking the vaccine or mm. your booster dose there's even a better time for radiation therapy so so wow. now we can think that there will be a lot of optimization we can do for healthy living starting from simple habit to scheduling your vaccination scheduling your chemo your mm-hmm. surgery um, so we have a lot of stuff to do but i'm super excited that there is a curiosity mm-hmm. from everybody mm-hmm. to incorporate yeah. this and to kind of leverage this primal wisdom that's already encoded in our body to live a long healthy life for everyone. Mm. Thank you so much. There's so much I've, you know, so many questions, so much more I want to dive into, but I know we need to wrap it up for today, but I just feel like you have so much knowledge to share and it's so inspiring to be able to have this conversation and host you on Satiate today and just thank you from the bottom of my heart for taking the time and and being here with us and sharing such great information that I'm sure we can all take a little piece of home with us and implement in our own ways and hopefully we'll get some people on your app and buying your books and learning more about how we can use these intrinsic primal rhythms to really help us navigate our own optimal health and well-being i really appreciate i really appreciate having you here thank you and uh, 
have a wonderful perfect circadian day <laughs> thank you it is such an honor to spend time with you here on satiate and may this conversation be of benefit from my heart to yours i wish you health and happiness for the coming season and may we meet again here very soon take good care